Bibles now, if you would please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. John, chapter 15. As you know, we've been studying for over a year now from John's Gospel. And we reached the 15th chapter today, and today we're going to begin the 15th chapter. One of the things I think that we've seen throughout the study of the Gospel of John is how Jesus can take very difficult subjects and make them easy for us to understand. Whenever people ask me what is the best book of the Bible for a new convert to read, and I mentioned this last Sunday as well, the best book of the Bible for a new convert to read, I always send them to the book of John. And that's because in the book of John, Jesus records, or John records, I should say, how how Jesus very clearly stated very difficult concepts. You see, sometimes it's, it's... not the theology of the Bible that causes us problems and makes things hard to understand. It's the theologians of the Bible. I think sometimes what it would be like if Jesus could attend one of our upper crust seminaries that we have today. And Jesus would be sitting in one of the classrooms and one of the professors would get up. And he would say, today we're going to study the subset of lapsarianism called supralapsarianism about predestination and foreordination and how that relates to the expiatory and propitiatory vicarious atonement of Jesus Christ. And Jesus would say, huh? It seems to me that Jesus boiled down the Christian life to three very simple concepts. He said, come unto me, and that was for salvation. He said, follow me, that was for discipleship. And then lastly, he said, abide in me, or remain in me, and that is for our peace, our hope, and our security. So the entire Christian life can be boiled down or summarized in those three things, come, follow, and abide. Now, in the scriptures that we're going to read today, we want to see how Jesus lives in us and how Jesus wants to produce fruit. And Jesus will use the word abide eight times in these 10 verses that we'll read this morning. And so without any great theological exposition, I believe that we can say that abide is the key word in this passage. To bear fruit, we must abide in Christ. I'd like you to stand with me, please, in reverence for the reading of God's word. We're going to read the first 10 verses of John chapter 15. I hope you have your Bible with us today to follow along. John 15, beginning in verse number 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine. There Jesus repeats what he said in the first verse. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do a lot of things. Oh, for without me, ye can do some things. That's not what Jesus said, is it? For without me, ye can do nothing. Would you say that with me? For without me, ye can do nothing. Now, if you get nothing else from the sermon today, remember that statement that Jesus makes. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you... 
Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today. And we thank you for the concepts that Jesus lays out before us here and how we will very clearly understand that there's nothing that we can do outside of you. Would you speak to your people today? Draw us close to you. Help us to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit today. And we give you the praise for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Once again, we need to get the context of these scriptures. If you've been with us through our study of the Gospel of John, and especially in these last few weeks, we're in a section of John's Gospel account where Jesus is teaching the disciples in a very private manner. He's preaching and and teaching in private discourses. He's just a few hours away from the cross, and as we read these scriptures today, probably about 12 hours will, will come and go before Jesus is crucified. And Jesus revealed some of his most important teachings in these hours. And during this time, as I said, he brought the disciples only aside to teach them. And what we learn here is that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there's really nothing that you can learn from these last few chapters in the book of John. The, at least chapters 13 through 16, where Jesus is teaching privately, there's not much here for you if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. But I also want to tell you that if you want to get in on this abundant, exciting life that Jesus is talking about here, the only thing that you need to do is this very day is to put your personal faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, believe that he died to save you from your sins, and you can enter into this abundant life that Jesus speaks of. So here are things that were spoken by Jesus just before he went to the cross. Many people believe that Jesus had on his mind the teachings of the Lord's Supper as he spoke these things. Back in John chapter 13, Jesus talks about uh, giving himself as a sacrifice for our sins. He talks about the fruit of the vine. He speaks about the Lord's Supper where that cup represents his blood that would be shed for the remission of our sins. Then there are some people who think that, well, Jesus got the idea for speaking about the vine because he could look out the door of the upper room where the disciples were meeting. He could see across the temple courtyard. And there on the temple doors was engraved a golden grapevine. And that's where Jesus got the idea that he spoke to his disciples about the vine. And there are yet still others who believe that because the 14th chapter ends with the words, Arise, let us go hence that the disciples had actually left the upper room. They'd gone down to the Kidron Valley, crossed that, gone to the Mount of Olives, and finally to the Garden of Gethsemane. And as they did, perhaps the disciples and Jesus would have passed rows and rows of grapevines. But whatever the occasion, Jesus used the vine, the grapevine, to tell us some very important principles. In fact, we find here that Jesus used his last I am statement in this 15th chapter, as he spoke about the vine. You may remember, as we studied through this Gospel of John, that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
And finally, he comes down to this last statement where he says, I am the true vine. Now, today in our study, I want to speak to you, first of all, about the symbols of salvation. Jesus uses some symbols here to teach us some things, and he uses the ordinary grapevine and the care of the vine to point out important truths about our salvation. Now, first of all, today I want to take a few minutes to explain the symbols that we see in this passage. And this is the way that Jesus often taught. He taught in parables, he taught in symbols, and gave us things that we could understand. Now, first of all, of course, there is the vine. There's the vine that Jesus talks about, and Jesus said, I am the true vine. And there's no mistaking at all that Jesus is making the vine a symbol of himself. The life is in the vine, and the vine communicates life to all that are attached to it. So to abide in the vine, which is the subject of the message today, to abide in Jesus Christ is to draw all of our life-sustaining nourishment from him. Now notice that Jesus says, I am the true vine. And by that, Jesus does not mean that he's the true vine as opposed to false vines, but rather that he is the vine that is the all-essential, enduring vine. And he is the type, or he is the vine of which all other vines are the type. And that's another way that we find in Scripture that metaphors like this are often used. The Apostle John used one that was similar to this when he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And what he meant by that was that Jesus Christ is the true lamb. All the other lambs of sacrifice are speaking about him. But Jesus Christ himself is the true lamb that shed, for, that shed his blood for the remission of sins. Then it's also apparent that Jesus used the vine because Israel is called God's vineyard. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse number 1 Isaiah records the words of the Lord where he says, Now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved, touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard and a very fruitful hill. Now what that's talking about is about Israel. Israel is God's vineyard. But we notice in the next verse of Isaiah chapter 5 that though Israel was the vineyard, yet it was an unfruitful vineyard. It says, And he fenced it. And gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a wine press therein. And listen, and he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. So Israel was a vineyard that did not yield the type of fruit that God wanted it to yield. And of course, by the time that we come to Jesus, 700 years after Isaiah wrote this, Israel was in such a position that you couldn't even tell that they were really the true vineyard of the Lord. And yet Jesus came to change that. It was also prophesied in Isaiah that Jesus would come, and the Bible refers to him as a tender plant, a plant that came up out of the spiritually dry ground of Israel. And so that's why Jesus refers to himself as the true vine. He's the spiritual life communicator. And the only way to have life is to abide in him. Then we have another symbol that Jesus gives us, and this is the husbandman. And the husbandman, that really has the same meaning as a gardener. And the gardener represents the father, because Jesus says here as well, my father is the husbandman. That word husbandman or gardener comes from the Greek word gihorgos. It's the same word from which we get George. Same word we get gorgeous. So if your name is George, that means you must be gorgeous. 
He's not here, but you can tell him that next time you see him. The husband is the one, the husbandman is the one who plants the vine. He tends for the vine. He cares for the vine and he prunes the vine. And that pruning process is very important to us in our Christian lives. And next week, we're going to come back and talk about the pruning process and what that means. Then also, Jesus gives us a third picture here, a third symbol, and that's the fruit. And I suppose that the very best way that I could convey to you what the fruit is, is just to tell you that this is the character of Jesus reproduced. When we have the fruit of of Jesus in us, that means that we have the character of Jesus reproduced in us. Jesus said, by their fruits, ye shall know them. Now, the Bible tells us what these fruits are, and yet there are some people who believe that the fruits are converts. And they say, and some preachers will stand up and they'll pound on the pulpit and tell you that if you haven't notched your belt with lots of converts, then you're not bearing fruit. But that's not what Jesus is speaking about here. The converts are not the fruit. Now, converts are very important to us. Surely we need to have converts, but that's not the fruit that Jesus is speaking about. It's speaking about his own character reproduced in his people. We'll come back to that thought in just a few minutes. Then lastly, also, we have the branches, the symbol of the branches, and the branches are people. These are you and me if we are believers in Jesus Christ. We're the crop. We're his crop. He's the vine. We are the branches. And a true vine, the good vine, always produces true branches. The vine gives life to the branches. Now, as we noticed here when we read this, there are two types of branches that are on this vine. Some are unfruitful branches. And Jesus says that the father or the gardener cuts these off. These are cut off, and those branches only had a superficial attachment to Christ. And really, this was a great illustration that Jesus used here because just before this, Judas proved himself to have only a superficial attachment to Christ. He went out, the Bible says, and he betrayed Jesus. So he showed that he wasn't really attached to this vine, just a superficial attachment. I preached about that a few weeks ago, that Judas represents religious people who are only superficial believers. These are like people who go to church, they come to the services, they sit and they sing the same songs, they pray the same prayers, they listen to the message being preached, but they really haven't received Jesus Christ in their heart. They're just superficial believers. It looks like they have the character of Jesus, but they really don't. Now these, Jesus says, the Father cuts off. Now admittedly, there's a lot of confusion about this passage about what Jesus is teaching. Some people think that this means that these people that were cut off were at one time true believers. They were really believers and followers of Jesus Christ. They were saved people. But then because their actions, their obedience, whatever it is, was not quite up to to snuff, that God took their salvation away from them, and so he takes them and he burns them in the fires of hell. But if that's what Jesus is teaching here, folks, it would go against everything that Jesus has already said in the Gospel of John. Right here, Jesus tells us that true believers will never perish. A person who has put his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and is a true believer will never perish. Jesus said in John 10, 28, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And that's just one of many verses that we read through the Gospel of John that give us that concept. Jesus only gives one kind of life, and that is eternal life. 
So verse number 6, when Jesus says, If a man abide in me, he is ca- abide not in me, rather, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned, that can't be talking about true believers. It's false professors, people who aren't true believers. And they may look good now, they may go through all the motions, but eventually they will be exposed and they will spend eternity in hell. Now, That's just one of the many warnings that we find in the Gospel of John. And this is why the Bible is so clear about this, that you need to examine yourself. You need to look into your own heart and really know that you are a true believer in Jesus Christ. Because those who aren't true believers will never see the gates of heaven. So these are the symbols that Jesus uses in salvation. There's Jesus, there's the Father, we have true believers, and also the fruit that they bear. Now, in the next few minutes, I want to talk more about this fruit because the fruit really is the central teaching of this passage. Abiding in the vine means that fruit is produced. So I want you to notice next that what is most important is the sort of fruit as opposed to the size of the fruit. The sort of fruit that's produced is the most important thing here. Now, when you abide in the vine, there will be fruit. And since Jesus is speaking about the disciples and Jesus is about to leave this world, he's very concerned that his character is reproduced in those disciples. The fruit is the character of Jesus. And so now that he's leaving the world, he wants to be sure that there is a representative of him left in this world. How will people know what Jesus was like when he's gone? Well, there's only one way that people can know, and that's by the fruit that they see in true believers. What is produced there? What is the character that's produced? Now, I think that even though it's been 2,000 years since Jesus is gone, it is still possible for us to see Jesus today. How do we see him? In the fruit that Christian people produce in true believers. Now, here is really, folks, where the struggle in the Christian life begins. I mean, this is the whole center of our problem. How can we show the character of Jesus Christ? I mean, when you look at what the Bible demands, when you read the commandments, when you see that Jesus said we have to love unlovely people, and when he said that, that, that we have got to be an example to others, we're to love one another, we're, we're to be the kind of people that he wants us to be, even loving people that have wronged us, how do we do it? And that's a struggle. Christians come to that point and they don't understand it. How can I show the character of Jesus Christ? And that's clear. That's a problem for all of us. All of us experience it. The Apostle Paul, who was the greatest preacher and teacher since the Lord himself, had a problem with this. In Romans chapter 7, verse number 18, he said, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. So the great Apostle Paul, he struggled with this. How do I subdue my flesh? And he had a real problem living the everyday Christian life. Now, isn't this exactly what Jesus is addressing in the passage? It's exactly what he's talking about. Without me, ye can do nothing. It's impossible for us to produce the fruit unless we remain in the vine, abide in the vine, because that's where we draw our life. Now, I want you to notice something about grapevines. First, the wood is worthless. Well, that's a characteristic of grapevines. The branches are good for only one thing, and that's for bearing fruit. If the vine isn't producing fruit, it doesn't have any other uses. You know why that's true? 
It's because the wood of the grapevine is too soft to be used for other purposes. If I go out here today and I cut down a pine tree, I can take the trunk of that pine tree and I can saw it into boards. I can use that to to build things. I can build fences with it. I can build furniture with it. I can build houses with it. Use it in the rafters. Use it in the floor joists, in the ceiling joists. Use it in the walls. A pine tree has a lot of different uses for the wood. But that's not true with the grapevine. The grapevine is useless unless it's bearing fruit. Now, here is a... To show you just how useless that it really is, the children of Israel were told to bring wood for the sacrifices. And do you know what wood was specifically excluded that they couldn't use? It was the grapevine. I mean, the grapevine wasn't even worth using to burn a sacrifice with. The only thing that a grapevine is good for, if it's not bearing fruit, is to gather up all the branches and put them in a bonfire and destroy them. A branch that does not bear fruit, a vine that does not bear fruit is useless. Now, do you see what Jesus is teaching here? If you don't abide in the vine and you don't produce fruit, you're totally worthless to him. Now, that's true of many Christians, isn't it? Some Christians are totally worthless to Christ. Now, you may not appreciate me saying it that way. You may not like me phrasing that way, but... There are many Christians who are useless for the cause of Christ. I mean, their lives, when they leave this building, when you get outside of here where you're singing and hearing preaching, when you get outside of here, your life doesn't shine for Christ at all. There's nothing out there that would show a person that you're a Christian. And then that makes your life totally useless to the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you aren't bearing fruit, the question is, what good are you? But we've still got this problem. How are we going to produce the fruit? Now, some say, well, the way that you do that is to imitate Jesus. We just look at what Jesus did and we try to act like Jesus and do the things that Jesus did. But here's my second point about this is that imitation brings failure and frustration. You know, it's been popular the last few years for people to wear these little bracelets that say WWJD. What would Jesus do? And I used to think, you know, that's a pretty good thing for people to wear. Until I started seeing those bracelets crop up on the wrists of people who didn't look at all like Jesus. They have no characteristics of Jesus at all. Now, can you actually do what Jesus did? Well, the answer to that question is no. You can't do what Jesus did. You can't imitate him. When those disciples were fearful about, the, about the, the sea, when they were out in the Sea of Galilee and the waves were beating against their boat, what would Jesus do? He walked out there on the water. I can't do that. I can't do what Jesus did. You know, tonight we're having a, a potluck dinner here at the church. And let's suppose for just a moment that 200 people show up tonight for this potluck dinner and only five people bring a dish. How are we going to feed 200 people with five dishes. What would Jesus do? He'd go into the kitchen and he'd say to Joni, step aside, Joni. Step aside, Gail. Get out of my way, Letha. Let me show you how this is done. Hand me a couple of saltine crackers and two chicken legs. (laughs) And before he's done, he's got a hundred buckets of chicken and all the fixings to go with it. Joni's great. I mean, she does a wonderful job, but she can't do what Jesus did. She can't make five dishes feed 200 people. Now, when you try to imitate Jesus, you'll find out that you'll fail. You'll become frustrated because you put in all the work that you've tried to do and you still can't get the job done. 
You can't do it in your own strength. And that's why you need the vine. Jesus said in verse number four, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. Now, here's what will happen if you try to imitate Jesus. One of these days, you're going to show up at the pearly gates and dragging behind you will be all of these works that you've done. And you'll have this big pile of stuff that you're carrying in. Now, I'm the preacher, so you can imagine I'm going to have a big pile of stuff to bring, aren't I? Yeah, I'm going to walk in and I'll see David Morrill and he's got his little bitty bag that he's got behind him. And I'll say, what in the world is the matter with David Morrill? Just wait till I get in there and we empty all these things and I'm going to show him what a true servant of Jesus Christ is really like. And you know what Jesus will do? What will happen? Jesus will look at all that pride and he'll look at all of those sermons that I preached in the energy of the flesh and he'll motion for Gabriel to come over and he'll say, Gabriel, would you please take all of that stuff and burn it? Take the garbage out. Gabriel, would you do that, please? I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul said about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He said, Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. Listen to this. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So do you see what will happen here? They'll say, angels, take away all of that wood, hay, and stubble. Take away all of those things that Mark Smith did in the energy of his flesh and go burn them up. But then he'll turn to David Morrill and he'll see that little bitty bag of stuff that he brought in. And it won't be the size that matters. It'll be the sort of things. And what will he find in David Morrill's bag? Well, he's not going to find a fancy sermon with three points and three sub-points, a prayer and an appeal. He won't find that there. But he'll look into that little bitty bag and he'll see David Morrill at the church on Saturday with a leaf blower and a lawnmower. And he'll see David Morrow here scrubbing a floor over here or picking up paper in the parking lot. And Jesus will judge it by the sort of fruit that it is. And then I could go around the room today and I could talk about Steve Miller back in the back looking over our sound as we do uh, have our services every Sunday. Or I could talk about Dave Sharon being up on a Sunday morning before you get up to make sure that the heat is on in the church and up on the roof trying to fix that. Or I could talk about Grant Evans being here almost every day of the week fixing things to make sure that the school and the church, everything's working so we can carry on business as usual. Now, here's the thing, folks. Jesus is going to look at those things, the sort of fruit that it is. These are things that are done while people abide in the vine, while they love Jesus Christ. You know, I strongly suspect that when we get to heaven, that Jesus will be putting crowns on the heads of just ordinary people. People who just love the Lord. People who love their church and who love their pastor. And unfortunately, I think there's going to be a lot of big shot preachers with fancy rings and fancy cars that drag in their bag and God's going to say, take it all out and burn it up. 
And just the ordinary folks of the church, ones who give themselves to the cause of Jesus Christ, who love him with all of their heart, those people are stocking their mansions with gold. Jesus said in verse number 6, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. A moment ago, I told you I think that refers to people who have a superficial superficial attachment, superficial believers. Pretenders will never make it into heaven. But I think that we can also apply this in a different way. Those Christians who do not abide in the vine, who attempted what Jesus told them to do in the energy of their flesh and not depending upon Christ, they'll have all of those works burned up as wood, hay, and stubble. It's not the size that matters. It's the sort of fruit that's produced. Now, let's go on today, and let's finish with this third, third area, the secret of success. How will we produce this fruit? Now, a moment ago, I said that many people think that the fruits are the converts that you win to Christ. Converts are surely important to us, but that's not the fruit that Jesus is speaking of. In fact, you'll never have the first convert unless you already have the fruits that he talks about. The fruit is the character of Christ. I don't have time to talk about this in detail today, but in other places in the Bible, we've talked about it. Uh, I've talked about it in the book of Ephesians in our study there as we, we've gone through the, the, the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. But we have a listing of some of these things. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. In Ephesians 5, verse 9, Paul wrote, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Jesus said, By their fruits ye shall know them. And so if you have the characteristics, these fruits that he talks about in Galatians 5 and also in Ephesians, then you'll be recognized as a true follower of Jesus Christ. So what's the secret of the success here? Well, first... Jesus is teaching us to stay firmly attached to the vine. Look at verse number four. Again, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. When you take a branch off of a tree or take the branch off of a grapevine, you break it off, does that branch bear fruit? You know that it doesn't. Branches don't bear fruit on their own. And so eight times in ten verses, Jesus says, abide, abide, abide. Someone has said that this attachment to Jesus was just in the same way that Jesus was attached to the cross. Remember what they did to Jesus? They drove those nails into his hands and feet and they attached him to the cross. Well, it's an interesting thing here that the word that's used for abide is the Greek word meno, It's also used in John chapter 19, verse number 31. And that scripture says, The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Now, do you see the word remain in that verse? It's the same word that Jesus used for abide. It's the word meno. Very same word. And so Jesus is saying, be attached to me. Be firmly nailed to me. Stick to me. Because if you abide, you will be fruitful. 
That always happens. It's just the way that it works. The vine sends the life out to the branches, and the branches will bear fruit. Then the second thing that you need to do is stay faithfully available to the vine. You know, sometimes Christians can be so discouraged because they think that the work that they're doing for the Lord is, is, amounts to nothing at all. I mean, it's not a great thing that we're doing, and they become discouraged about that. The missionary will come to the church and he'll get out the pictures and the slides and he'll show all the pictures of the work that he's doing. Hundreds and hundreds of little girls and boys that are listening intently as the message is being preached. They'll take somebody like Brother Wilson Maungo and those, those orphans in Kenya and they'll say, why doesn't God use me like that? Why can't I be a great servant of God like that? But you know the truth of the matter? God may not want you to be a missionary in a foreign country. God may not want you to be a seminary student. God may not want you to be learning how to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and sitting in a university somewhere. God may not want you doing any of those things. God may just want you right here in the pew in Berean Baptist Church waiting there for God to call on you in order for you to do something for him. Everything that we do in this church bears fruit for Jesus Christ. And so don't think that you're unimportant. Don't think there's nothing I can do. I have to be a missionary. I have to be a preacher. I have to be the deacon in the church. Don't think about that. Just think about the place that God can use you and be faithfully available to him whenever he wants to use you. Now, there's two things that every Christian needs in their life. One is dependability and one is availability. It it does no good to be available if you're not a dependable person. And it doesn't do any good to be dependable if you're never available to do anything. Now, here's what one person, what one person said that summarized his whole Christian life. He said, I went through four stages when I became a Christian. First, I said, this is easy. And then I saw all the demands and I said, this is hard. And then when I tried, I said, this is impossible. But then when Christ filled me and I let his strength draw my strength from him, I said, this is exciting. The secret of success is to abide in the vine. Let me ask you today, is that what you're doing? Are you abiding in the vine? Are you drawing strength from the Lord Jesus Christ? When you stand before God in the judgment, will he look at your works and he'll say, well, those things were all done in the energy of your flesh. Those will be burned up. And when you stand before God, will you give him works that were done because Jesus Christ led you to those things, because you loved the Lord, because you loved your church, because you were available to him to step out and do whatever God asks you to do? Is that how your works will be presented before God? I hope that it, that's the way it is. I sincerely hope and pray that there'll be some Christian here today who will raise his hand and say, Jesus reproduce your character in me. That's what it means to abide in the vine. It's to have the character of Jesus. I invite you to do that today. I invite you today that you might come and live the exciting Christian life. And you'll find out it's true. It's easy to become a Christian. God requires nothing of you but simple trust, belief in him. He's done all the work for you. And if we really wanted to get even more technical than that, he's the one who even gave you the faith to believe it. You you don't have to do anything. God does it all for you. It's easy to become a Christian. But then you'll find out that it's going to be hard to be a Christian. 
And then you'll find out that it's impossible to continue being a Christian. But then finally, you'll come to the realization that if I abide in the vine, it's exciting to live the Christian life. Is that the way it is for you today? I hope that it is. Every Christian today, I hope that this morning that you will surrender yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. He did it all for you. He paid it all. And you can enter into that exciting, abundant life and bear fruit as a true servant of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus means when he says, abide in me, stay faithful to me, abide in the vine. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you so much for the word that we're able to talk about today. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the great sacrifice that he made for us. I mean, how that he paid our entire sin debt. Lord, we just thank you that you give all good things to us. You watch over us, you protect us, you take care of us. And now what we need to do is to abide in the vine, draw our strength from you. Perhaps there's some person here today who hasn't received you as their Lord and Savior. I just pray that you'd speak to their heart, open their heart to the gospel, use it to draw them to you. Lord, I pray for some Christian here today who hasn't been obedient to the things that you've asked, a baptism, being a part of your church. These things are very important. There are points of obedience, as we preached about last week, and these are all required if we're going to abide in the vine. I just ask you, Lord, to draw our people close to you. Help us to have care and concern for one another. And may the true character of Jesus Christ be reproduced in us. In all these things we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.